So last week we talked about hunger, I'm sorry, passion is hunger. And as I was reading and studying it, um, you know, we were reading the, the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus was talking, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And we talked about how hunger is pain. And at times we encounter pain. But there was this other word. There was a word called thirst. So it's kind of like part two of last week. I want to talk about that. Passion is thirst. Passion is thirst. So I'm going to read Psalms 42 in a second. Um, but before that, I'm going to sound really scatterbrained and I'm going to bring it all together. Can you follow me? And so um, at times, I used to hate this when I was single and didn't have kids. I used to hate hearing the, the guys that, that, that were dads that were just like, oh, just God spoke to me through my children. It was like, he could speak to you other ways. But now that I'm a dad, he always speaks to me through my parenting. And, and so you ever had these moments when you're parenting where you're a good parent and a bad parent all at the same time? Yeah. I'm going to show you a moment where I was a good parent and a bad parent all at the same time. So um, I'm kind of tough on our boys, and um, one of the sayings that we have in our family, a theme in our family, we say, Rosados don't quit. You don't quit. You push through. Rosados don't quit. And, and so I was kind of rough with our oldest. His name is Chase. When he was younger, especially with sports, I used to always ask this question, are you hurt or are you injured? Because he was kind of clumsy. I said, are you hurt or are you injured? Because you could play hurt. You can't play injured. If it's broken, then sit down. But if you're hurt, I wanted to teach him tenacity. I wanted to teach him that you could still continue moving forward even with pain. Okay? So are you hurt or injured? I'm hurt. Well, then stop crying. Keep on going. So there's one day I'm throwing the ball. I mean, like 80-mile-per-hour balls inside. It was raining, and we were kind of working on his hand-eye coordination. And I was throwing the ball really hard at him, and he was catching everything. Right? And then... He started feeling himself. He's like, yeah, dad, I'm catching everything you could throw at me. And he, he, does, he used to do this thing. Right? And he's feeling himself a little too hard. And then he goes, he goes, dad, I want you to record it. And so, all right, we're going to record it now, right? So I'm going to show you the video. <laughs> and so remember this side sermon, pride comes before the fall. That's a little extra sermon for you. Pride comes before the fall. So this is my son. He, he caught about five in a row. So now I'm throwing out 80 mile per hour balls right to his face. See what happens. All right, here we go. Ready? Pay attention. Ready? Move back a little bit. Here we go. Ready and go. <laughs> you got to be ready for that stuff. All right, one more time. Get up. I'll do it Watch this. Get up. Get up. No crying. You got it. Here we Walk go. it off. You got this. Visualize an attack. Here we go. <laughs> Come back. Here we go. Here we go. Ready? It won't be hard. Ready? <laughs> go. <laughs> All right. This time it's going to happen. Here we go. Got to learn how to catch them. Gonna come by fast. Here we go. Ready? Ready? Come on, let's catch this one. Now watch this. He starts blaming it on my throw. See, look, he's blaming it on my throw. You gotta catch it. You gotta catch this one. We already got one on you. Like, ready? Go. Yeah. All right, good on you, Chase. <laughs> but what, would I have been? Follow me here. Would I have been a good dad 
If I said, you know what? You got hurt, sit down, don't do it anymore because you don't want to get hurt again. Would I have been a good dad? Now, warning, I looked it up. You can't call Dyfus on me. There's a statute of limitations. <laughs> Number one. Number two, I think it's an important feature in the Christian life to have something called perseverance. I think it's an important feature in the Christian life for us to see the hurt inside ourselves and to see the hurt out in this world and continue moving forward. Continue moving forward. And so as I was reading about hungering and thirsting, I went to Psalm 42, and it's theologians argue about who is the author of this psalm. And I know perhaps in your Bibles it'll say, you know, someone else wrote it. But, but through my studies, I, I believe it's King David who wrote it. And King David always had this thing in the Psalms where he showed us the deconstruction and the construction of his faith. It was kind of, kind of fluctuated a little bit. And in Psalm 42, um, he talks about thirst and he talks about um, his despair. Everybody say despair. He talked about his despair, and we're going to pick it up in Psalm 42. And he says this, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. If you're an old school Christian, you have the song going on in your head right now. Come on. As the deer panteth for the water. Hit the note. How my soul longs for you. Aren't you glad I'm not a worship leader? <laughs> One of those preachers that break out in song in the middle. Can't do that. I'll rap. I could break out on a rap in the middle of my, my wife and son said no. Okay. As a deer pants for swimming streams. So pants my soul for you. Watch this. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now watch this. He said, now he goes, he shows you his despair a little bit, and he goes, my tears have been my food day and night. You ever had a tearful season? He said, wow, they, they save me all day long. Where is your God? That is the beginning of despair. The beginning of despair is when you start asking the question, where is God right now? Because I can't see him. All I see is this stuff happening. Where is God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, as I'm praying, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of the Lord with glad shouts and song of praise. This is crazy because David's like, hey, listen, I've been in despair. Even I'm remembering those moments where I led people into worship. I led people, I stood up here with my guitar and I stood up here with the microphone and I led people in worship. And I felt the highs, but now I'm at a place of, of feeling low. Where is my God? Where is my God? So he's remembering these things. And, and then he goes, he says, he says uh, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Here's the answer. If you could highlight this, hope in God. When you're in a place of despair, you need to remind your soul to hope in God. For I shall say again, praise him. You got to tell your soul to praise him, even when you don't feel like it. My salvation and my God, my soul is cast down within me. Don't pretend like nothing's wrong, Christian. It's okay to admit this. We see it. It's, sometimes those moments of deconstruction is the times where we could actually construct our faith even better than it was before. But the fact that you're faking it is like, no, everything's okay, glory to God, hallelujah. <laughs> like, it doesn't work. Let it happen. So he says, my soul is cast down within me, things I remember. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and, and Hermon and, and, and Mount Mizar. Deep calls out to deep. 
at the roar of your waterfowls. Creatives always get all poetic when they're emotional. And he says, all, the, all your, your breakers and waves have gone before me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. Now, this is where you start having honest conversations with God in those moments of despair. Why have you forgotten me? Have you ever felt that way? You don't have to raise your hand. But have you ever felt like God's like, yo, remember me? Been serving you for a while. Been praying to you for a while. I read your word constantly. You remember, remember me? And even Jesus quoted this. What, have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of all the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Again, this repetitious thing comes. Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O oh, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And here's the answer again. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Do you see the turmoil? Do you see the, how he's in a state of despair? And if you study the life of David, you, you, most of the time you, you notice that he, as he's processing these things out before God and, and before people, he, you can see three elements mostly. You can probably see more, but, but I want to talk about these three this morning because I feel like th- these things lead us to a state of despair. Regret. David did some messed up things. So you kind of see, you could see, if you look at through the eyes, you can see as he's writing out these psalms, he, you could see regret. You could see resentment. He's always talking about his enemies. Resentment. And then you could almost see fear of moving forward. And I believe that these three things are the things that at times will lead us to a place of despair. Will lead us to a place where it's like, all right, God, are, are you going to be there for me or not? What's, what, what's happening? It could lead you to a state of hopelessness. Now, so that we're all on the same page and we're all working off the same glossary, I'd like to give you definitions. And so despair is this. We're going to define despair as, as it's a sense of hopelessness. It's a complete loss or absence of hope. We've lost hope. And the answer is to go back and hope in God. And the reason I say this, I want to attach this to the gospel. The gospel means good news. And I'm here to tell you that I know this world is jacked up. Can we say jacked up? Yeah. I know this world is jacked up, and I know you can see a lot of things, and you can, you, even just yesterday, I'm just going to be very vulnerable and honest with you, my, my wife, her, her little brother, my brother-in-law, uh, was held up at gunpoint at his university, stole everything from him, held up at gunpoint, not only held up at gunpoint, the, the guy cocked the gun back, face to face, stole everything he had, and stole everything his friends had. And so I'm, I'm getting this phone call, and I'm hearing my wife cry, and she's worried, and I'm thinking, dag, this world is jacked up. And the exact same day, I run into this other person, this guy who, again, is walking away from faith, walking away from church, and, and I start getting angry with the church. And I was tempted to get in a place of despair. And here's what I had to do. I had to do some self-talk, okay? I had to do some self-talk, because even though the enemy taunts me, he can't touch me. Hello? Even though the enemy taunts me, he can't touch me. Why? Because I'm hurt, but I'm not injured. Despite, despite, you know, living in regret, despite resentment, despite fear, God has called us to move forward. I got good news for you that anyone who's in a state of despair this morning, he has not stepped off the throne. He has not stepped off the throne. He has not stopped building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. 
I'm standing on his promises even though I see problems. I'm standing on his promises even though I see So as a, as a Christian, he died, he died so that we, he handed us victory. Y'all need to get this. He died because, so that he handed us victory. And it doesn't mean he was, he's not surprised by the turmoil of this world. The Bible says in Romans that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Hello? While we were still sinners, he died for us. That, that we live in this state of this loving grace and loving mercy that we stand victorious by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're justified by his blood. And not only that, Christians, you are also called to still walk out the ministry of reconciliation. Second Corinthians, if you could turn that up for me. Paul talks to the church and he says this, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? So why do I say this? Later on, he talks about, if you could turn it over, it says, we, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. So when we see this world and the turmoil, we don't go into desperation. We have to fulfill our ministry of reconciliation. All right? So, so we're, not, we're not in despair. We, we have to move forward in our ministry of reconciliation. And the way we continue to do that is to continue to do that with passion and continue to do that knowing that we're called to do that. I was listening to a priest. Yes, priest. I listened to this priest podcast. And he said something so brilliant, and maybe you could argue with this statement, but it shed some light on something. Sometimes in Christianity, we teach as though Christ died to change God's opinion of man. But if you read scripture, John 3.16, the football verse, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Okay? He loved the world that he gave his son. So maybe Jesus didn't die to change God's mind about us. Jesus died so that we could change our mind about God. And so if we change our mind on God, okay, and join with him in this ministry of reconciliation, when the problems are happening in this world, that we don't retreat, even though it hurts us and we're in pain, we might be hurt, but we're not injured. We still move forward in the ministry of reconciliation. And we can't move forward if we allow ourselves to live in a state of hopelessness and despair. So I want to break down those three major things that put us in a place of hopelessness and despair. And the first one is regret, right? Let's talk about this. And maybe you don't know, you can't identify if you're really living in regret or not. But if you've ever said this phrase and you're living in regret, I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive myself. Raise your hand if you've ever said that, if you feel comfortable enough. I've ever said, I can't forgive myself. Now, when we're talking about forgiveness, the answer to our despair is to hope in God, but I also believe if you're hoping in God, then your hope is in his grace and mercy. Grace removes the issues of forgiveness. And forgiveness is, our, our, I would categorize it, it's a debt issue. When you don't forgive someone, they owe you a debt. So when you can't forgive yourself, what you're really saying is this, I owe it to myself, or if you regret something you did to someone else, I owe you. And we live in this state where this debt is hanging over our lives. Most of you might not know this, but at the age of around 13 and 14, uh, unfortunately, I sold drugs. Um, I was made fun of growing up that, uh, you know, I, I had these 
hand-me-down sneakers, and so I was kind of tired of it, so I was like, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm just going to start selling drugs, and I'm going to buy everything I, I wanted to buy. And I remember literally there were moments where I was, as a 13 and 14-year-old, I was making about $1,500 to $2,000 a week. I didn't have Dave Ramsey back then, so it's all gone. <laughs> but a decade after that, I remember uh, being in my 20s, I started having these dreams of the faces that I sold drugs to. And unfortunately, like, I didn't just sell weed. I sold crack. I sold things like that. And I remember these faces of these crackheads, and they would come back in my dreams. And I shouldn't even say dreams. They were nightmares of these faces and me waking up in regret, just wishing. And my prayer to God was, God, can you just, can you, can you take me back so that I could say sorry? Can you take me back so I could give them their money back? Can you take me back so I could just get this off my chest? And it, and it, and it literally haunted me for weeks. And I'm praying and praying and praying, and I, and I ended up just coming out to God and saying, I just can't forgive myself for doing that. I can't, I can't let it go. I, I did something very evil for selfish reasons. I can't forgive myself. And one day, how funny is this? I didn't put this together the first two sermons, but that song with everything, um, God said what I'm about to tell you right after I was listening to the song. Fun fact. And I'm worshiping and I'm listening, and God came to me, and maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm projecting myself onto God, but God kind of deals with me kind of harshly because he needs to, because I'm a knucklehead, and he anointed knuckleheads in the house. Yeah. And, uh, and I kind of felt him saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that your unforgiveness can trump my forgiveness in your life? Who do you think you are? Wherever sin abounds, my grace abounds all the more. How dare you? How dare you think that your unforgiveness towards yourself is stronger than my forgiveness for you? So I had to humble myself and just say, and release myself from the debt. And release myself that I don't owe them anything. I don't owe myself anything. That I had to release myself from the debt in order for me to walk in the freedom that Christ has given me. And I had to release the debt. And if you're living in a state of regret about something that you've done this morning, something that you've done last night, something that you've done 15 years ago, you have to release yourself from the debt because it will pop his head up in despair. Because if you don't have hope, how can you see hope in other people? So we have to get rid of regret, and that's only by the grace of God. And it's a debt issue. You don't owe it to anyone else. You don't owe it to yourself. Release yourself from debt and live in the newness of Christ. Here's the cool part. Now, when I look back at those moments, they're lessons learned, not pain that I need to bring into the next chapter of my life. Number two, resentment. You like how I, like, I show you a funny video to make you laugh, and now I'm like bringing it all down? The emotional roller coaster of Mike Rosado's sermons. But we're going to end on a high note, I promise. <laughs> then we have this resentment, and what does the resentment uh, say? Resentment says, I can't forgive you. I'm going to point at Steve. I can't forgive you. I can't. I can't let it go. I can't forgive you. And if you notice the pattern from the first one, so if resentment always says, I can't forgive you, then basically we're walking around in our hearts saying, you owe me. You owe me. This is a debt issue. You owe me. But here's the problem with humanity. The problem with humanity when we're walking around and we're saying that you hurt me, you owe me, we always add interest to it. Come on, we always do, we add interest. 
And so even if that person, quote unquote, paid you back, it's never going to fill the void in your heart. I deal with this a lot when it comes to married couples who try to recover uh, from infidelity or cheating in, in a relationship. They go, all right, I forgive you, and then I release the debt, and this is what you need to do. You know, you need to show me your phone. I need to see who you're talking to every single day, and I need to, and the person does it. They go through all the motions of trying to earn back their trust, and, and you say, okay, I need you to walk these five steps in order for you to, to walk out your forgiveness, but the minute they get too close and you have to give them their trust, they take a couple steps back and add more steps. Because why? Because we love to add interest when we say you owe me. Because here's the truth. If someone has hurt you, you can't rewind the tape. You can't. Life only has a play button. It doesn't have a pause. It doesn't have a rewind. And for us impatient people, it doesn't have a fast forward. <laughs> All we can do is play. So when someone has hurt you, if you're asking them that they have to pay you back, you're going to live in constant despair and hopelessness because they can never pay you back. And even if they do, it's never going to be enough. It isn't. So to release it from you owe me, it has, you have to apply grace and you have to forgive and you have to let it go. And let it go and give it up to God. And, and, and the times when I struggle the most with forgiveness is when I have to sit, literally sit down. You ready? This is a great exercise. Write down all your sins. You personally, when I'm struggling with forgiving someone else, write down all my sins. And then after a while, I keep writing until I go, you all right. <laughs> you good. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I can't repay them. They can't repay me. And the only way love is going to continue on on this planet is if we live out forgiveness. And this is what living out forgiveness. And I believe that the reason that we're in despair, the reason that we have these lenses of this world, that everything's red and everything's dark and everything's horrible and everything's evil. And I'm thinking, even to myself, when I'm looking at this world and I'm looking at all the hurt going on, and I'm thinking, how can we move forward? I'll tell you why. Are you hurt or are you injured? Because the Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It doesn't say that you're gonna live the void of pain. But my soul is not injured. It might be hurting, but it's not injured that I could still move forward in Christ. Can we be Pentecostal for just 10 seconds? So if you don't deal with the regret and you don't deal with the resentment, then you're going to start living in fear. And I know all the OCD preachers in the house saying, you couldn't find another R. No, I couldn't. <laughs> I looked into the stories. I couldn't find it. Couldn't find another R. But we live in fear, don't we? We live in fear. And this is the ugly part. I know you're reading it up on the screen, and this is ugly. When we live in fear, don't pretty this up. Let it be ugly. When we live in fear, when I live in fear, I'm ultimately saying this. I can't forgive God. I can't. How dare you say you can't forgive God? If, if forgiveness is a debt issue, there are times... Where we say in our hearts, we never say it out loud because it's too ugly to confess, but we say, God, you owe me. You owe me. This bad thing happened to me. You owe me. I prayed really long and hard for about this. You owe me. And I've, in my life, recently, when it's just me and God, I had, to, I had to admit it. I couldn't break free from it until I admitted it, that I can't forgive God. I can't forgive God for allowing me to, let, to allow me to go through this. And here's the dinger. If it happened to me once, okay, God, I get it. It's life. But it happened to me again. 
Some of us can't forgive God, not because he let it happen once, because he let it happen again. Am I talking to anybody here? I got hurt again, and it's really hard to say, I forgive God. So we walk around saying, God, you owe me. You owe me my answer. I'm praying and praying and praying. You owe me my answer. I've been faithful. I've served. I'm up on this stage. I wake up at the butt crack of dawn, and donuts aren't enough, God. You owe me. And when we live that life, when we say, God, you owe me, we live in a state of despair because when he does give us stuff, it's never going to be good enough because we feel like it's owed to us. You don't see things as a gift if you feel like you've earned it. I'm going to let that marinate for a second. Did y'all hear that? We don't see things as gifts when we feel like we've earned it. And so, of course, you live in despair because you're walking around like everything's owed to you and you're angry and you're fearful. And the fact that all this bad stuff happens to you, what happens? We're crippled with fear and we don't want to move forward because God forbid it happens a third time. God forbid it happens a fourth time. And I'm already struggling with forgiving God. But here's the answer. If our answer is hope in God, if that is the answer, then I choose not to be in despair. I choose to live in desperation. Those two things are different. When I'm in despair, I'm hopeless. When I live in desperation for God, my hope is always in him. Last week we talked about that your current situation is not your permanent reality. Come on. Your current situation is not your permanent reality. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So you hold on to God's promises and you stay desperate in the pain and you stay desperate in the moment. And you're not desperate for things, desperate for him. Desperate for him. And you stay desperate for him. And if you hold on tight to his promises, if you hold on tight to his truth, if you hold on tight, and not to, and there's gonna be times, again, remember passion is a choice. It's not an emotion. There's going to be times I'm not going to feel like doing it, but, but I lean into my desperation. And you have a choice. If you don't choose desperation, by default, you choose despair. You choose despair. So I hold on tight. There's a verse that we always read. It says, God is our ever-present help in time of need. Have you ever heard of this verse? It's actually in Psalm 46, about four more chapters over. He's our ever-present help in time of need. Any mathematicians in the house? There are, nobody, all right. Um, there are constants and then there are variables, right? When you're dealing with an equation, you have, to, you have to solve for the variable. But you can't solve for the variable unless you have a constant, right? I, am I getting this right? All the teachers, correct me. I'm a pastor, not a teacher, right? And so if you think about that phrase, he's our ever-present help in time of need. Who's the variable? Is it God or is it me? Because my theology tells me that he's, big fancy word, he's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at all times, right? He's always ever present. So maybe it's like, sometimes we teach that verse and we go, well, he's ever present up in time of need. So God just kind of shows up, you know, with a big G on his chest, say, I'm here to save the day. He shows up when we're in trouble, but no, he's always there. So maybe... He's our ever-present help in time of need because I am always in need. 
I am always in need. Always in need. There's never a moment when I don't hunger, thirst, desire, or I'm desperate for the things of God. There are days where I ignore it, but there's never a day when I don't need it. And I think we live in a state of despair because we forget that he's with us. The Bible says, even if I make my bed in hell, then he is there. He's with us. So when we're looking at this world and it sucks and there's no other way to say it, and that word's offend you, I can't think of a better theological word for this world. But it does, it sucks. But just remember, God loved this world. He did. And the answer isn't for us to put our head down and go, yeah, this, this world is it's not going anywhere. We still have the ministry of reconciliation. We still have the opportunity to show people our passion for him, to be desperate for him, and show them that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And I promise you, I promise you, promise you he is still on the throne. Promise you he's still on the throne. So we hold on to that with passion. You don't have to live hopeless. Our hope is in God. So if your soul is down right now, pick it up. Tell Chase to get up. And you might drop the next three balls. But someone's right now coaching you through saying, you're hurt, but you're not injured. Get up and keep moving forward. Get up and keep moving forward because God has some big plans for your life. I really believe that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. I want to hold on to that word again. You know, I said like some of us, we have a hard time forgiving God and we got to release God for whatever thing we feel like he owes us. He's allowed us to go through this cycle of pain and cycle of hurt. But let's turn into blessing counters. And as many times as he's allowed pain to come in, he's also allowed blessings to come in over and over again. And whatever mountain's in front of you that's making you feel like you're in despair, you can move that mountain. And all that bad thing happened to you again, that good thing could happen to you again as well. So we're going to sing these promises into the atmosphere we're going to believe that God can do it again because he's a good God. Let me pray for you, Father. I just want to stop right now and just thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are a good God that gives good gifts to his children. So this pain in my life right now, I choose to allow it to help me be more like you in your suffering or to mold and shape my character. That you care more about the development of my character than making me feel comfortable sometimes. So Father, help us speak to our soul and tell ourselves to hope in God. Even when people disappoint to hope in God. And the funny thing is, Lord, that you continue to use people even though we mess up, including ourselves. So if my hope is in you, that doesn't mean I move into isolation. My hope is in you. It means that even through the pain, 
move forward with you. And I follow you. And do what I see the Father doing. Make us more like you, Father. And do it again. Do it again. In Jesus' name.